you're in a call center in a refi, you could almost watch, and I managed hundreds of these people, you could almost watch when they thought they had a good one on the line, they'd lean forward. And they begin to lean forward, they get their pen and they start do, boom, boom, I think I can close it on a refi. It's almost like in a purchase, you need to lean back. Because if you go too fast, they're gonna say, you're not hearing where I am in this cycle. You're, you're intimidating me with a bunch of jargon. And my realtor kind of told me I should probably go with her friend locally anyhow. So you're, you're, you're almost creating your own objections. Just lean back and let them tell the story because if you can become part of that story, you can become part of that solution. You're listening to Batting 1000 with Dale Vermillion, where heavy hitters from mortgage, real estate, and business share their secrets for lasting success. With your host, award-winning sales strategist and industry icon, Dale Vermillion. All right. Well, Garth, it is great to have you on uh, the first episode of season two. I can't think of a person I would rather have than you kicking off this season. And I'm going to I'm going to toot your horn a little bit here, if you don't mind. Um, uh-huh. You know, they've, they've given the buy already, but I'm going to give you a title. You're, you're the OG of digital mortgage in the mortgage arena, as far as I'm concerned. You're kind of the patriarch. Uh, you know, you and I met each other way back in the 1990s yep. and worked together at Mortgage.com when you ran that company and you took that thing and it was the first internet-based originated loan ever in in mortgage history. So, man, you got some serious history and you've done amazing things since then. You know, Stratmore Group is the premier consulting group and merger and acquisition group and information group in the industry. And I'm just honored to have you here. And not only that, we're, we've been good friends for a long time. It's just yeah. great to have a good friend, an old friend, and somebody that I've worked with for a long time. So welcome. Hey, hey thank Glad you. Glad to have you on a thousand. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. I, uh, I'm going to have to live up to a lot because, you know, that was a heck of an intro. So I'd like to, I do a lot of public speaking, Dale. And if you don't mind just coming along and you could do the one minute intro, because a lot of people read from the bio, it's not that interesting. So you get up, say that, and then, you know, you can uh, fly back to Florida or whatever. We're going to go. Anytime you want me to tag along, you just let me know. I'll be there. Cool. I appreciate that. So here's what I want to talk about. You know, we, uh, the, the, the reason I thought it was so vitally important to have you on, other than the fact that I just love you to death, is... You are. You just spoke at the Lenny Tree Summit that you and I both spoke at, um, and you brought in some inc- an incredible presentation that I just absolutely love. That talked about where the industry is at. We're we're in one of the tougher times we've seen. In you know, you've been in the business over thirty years. I've been in the business next year will be forty years. Um, so we've done this for a while. Um, and we've never seen rates rise as fast. We've never seen these kinds of challenges. But, and I'm going to say it very clearly, you know, there's a lot of talk about the bad news, but there's an awful lot of good news in the mortgage industry too. There's a lot of opportunity out there if you know how to attack it. And yeah. some of the things that you covered, I thought were just so spot on. The thing I've always liked about your presentation style is you just say it like it is and and let people, you know, understand what they need to do to succeed. And I love that kind of, of transparency. I usually say it like it is with jokes. That's right. So then once once people, they laugh a little bit and then they suddenly go, hey, wait a minute. That's not funny. That was painful what he just said. So, you know, whatever. It's always tough tough to do jokes through a virtual thing, but I'll do my best. Yeah, well, good. Well, well, let's talk about, I know there's six or seven points that you had had talked about in that session. And and I want to start with the first one. And, you know, we know this is a purchase heavy market. Yep. And and we know that consumer direct companies in particular have had a more difficult time in the purchase market. I know you've got some stats on that. I'd love for you to share. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and I'd love to hear you gave a great analogy during the presentation as to why 
um, loan officers are not succeeding and companies are not succeeding in the purchase world when they could. Share a little bit about sure. kind of where we're at as an industry, where the purchase market is at. And then I want you to talk about how it's such an episodic business and really units are the key thing we should be looking at, not uh -huh. just dollars, because that yeah. was really important information. Yeah. Well, I mean, we always read the headlines, you know, the MBA forecast, Fannie Mae forecast, Freddie Mac forecast, Stratmore, we're in the numbers business. And we look at all those yep. numbers. I think the one number that gets missed when we talk about that we're going to drop from a $4 trillion market to a $2 trillion market, I mean, T trillion is a big number, so it's kind of absurd how big that number really is. And you think, wow, that's a 50% drop. If you actually look at it on a unit basis, which is really where the hand-to-hand -hand combat has, one loan officer beating another to try to help this family get into a home, um, <laughs> it's even more acute because our average loan amount has gone up so much. So um, that's really one of them. Last year, there were 13.5 million transactions, first mortgage transactions in our industry. Next year, there'll be maybe five. So we're down wow. a lot in units, and it's way bigger than the 50% that you see in the dollar number because the average loan amount has gone up so much on the purchase side. And, and normally, refinance transactions are smaller than purchase. So you take the smaller refis out, you're left with a lot of big loan amounts, but that means there's really, you know, 5 million opportunities to compete. And last year there were 13. So you better wow. be very, very sharp and able to yep. compete. And I think you were alluding one of the other stats I wanted to share is last year, over 50% of refinance transactions units were done by Consumer Direct. So, you know, first let's pause. That's a big number. When I started Mortgage.com in 1996, Dale, that you, you know, you were referencing, oh, we weren't anywhere near, yeah, but we were nowhere near 50%. Right. So 50% right. of people last year who refinanced their homes did it through a consumer direct operation. And that's what created kind of a windfall year for the industry. The number on purchase is 15%. Wow. And once again, this is units, not dollars. So okay. uh, what that means is last year um, in consumer direct, I'm looking on my other screen, so I nail this number. Um, there were 5 million refinance transactions last year and, um, you know, our total transactions rather in CD last year, this year it'll be 1.6. And that's assuming wow. that the consumer direct lenders keep only doing 15% of the purchase. So really the challenge for CD, you can't do the 15%. You have to start right. stealing share from retail. Um, you have to steal share from the other CD lenders. So it is really a function of competing at that level. And by the way, I started as a retail loan officer and then became a call center guy. So I kind of speak both angles. And, you know, you can do it. It can be done. But you have to have the skills that are very similar to a purchase lender, uh, loan originator, while also, you know, leveraging the skills that the CD lenders have long perfected, you know, centralization, lower cost, strong technology. Um, but you know, a key part of it is those humans, those loan officers have to be able to sell purchase. So you had a quote on one of your slides that I absolutely loved. And the quote was purchase is about life, not about loans. Not only I, is I it, love a, that quote. it's a quote, but I wrote an article and even the article doesn't has a couple jokes in it. So that was August, 2021. <laughs> and one of the analogies I put there, and I said this in the speech last week, so I appreciate you bringing it up and you guys could share the article if you like. But if somebody, gotcha. if you were at a cocktail party, you know, and somebody said to you, hey, I'm thinking about buying a home. If you're a human being, what's the first question you say? 
The first question is, wow, statement, why? And the reason is the why is the motivation for the entire transaction. I'm expanding my family. My family's getting smaller. I want to be closer to work. I don't care about being close to work because I now work remote. I want a better school system. My kids are older. I don't care about the school system. A bigger house, smaller house, uh, later in life, early in life, move up, move down. There's something going on that's actually what they're pursuing. And if you do not engage on that level, you are likely to lose it to a retail guy or gal because they do. So the natural inclination for for a consumer direct lender, because of the muscle memory from refi that we've learned, is you just jump into the transaction. So you'll say, oh, terrific, you're buying a home. How much money are you putting down? Do you have a property yet picked out? How much money are you putting down? So the loan amount is, okay, that's great. Um, you know, we, I can go ahead and qualify you for blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what are you, it, it, dude, that's way too fast, right? <laughs> yeah. And so when you do that, the, the customer naturally gravitates to the only thing they have in common interest with you. What's your rate? Yep. And this, the shame of it is they can't have the rate anyhow. They can't lock it in. They haven't found a house. They don't yet have a contract normally. So it's like you literally put yourself on the least advantageous playing field that you didn't even have to play at because you weren't willing to engage with them on what really matters to them. So now you don't have to read the article, but, you know, it's a four-pager and you probably should. Well, that's so incredibly powerful. And it's so funny because it it jives so much with what we've taught at Mortgage Champions forever is that you've got to have conversation. When you start that conversation with qualifying questions, which is the most common thing that loan officers do, by the way, what you're really saying to the borrower is, let me see if you're good enough for me to spend time with you. That's really (laughs) the message you're relaying to them when you really think about it. And that is not the message I think we want to relay. I think the message we want to relay is, man, I want to help you with that house. I'm honored to have the opportunity to work with you today. Tell me me why you're moving into that house. Tell me what's going on in your life. And there you go. Bam. You're in a conversation that absolutely works. And you're right. A lot of the retail guys that that I train, they're very, very good at that. Um, And many of the consumer direct guys who are top producers. All of those who aren't producing right now, it's because they're going back to either they're asking those qualifying questions or they're talking about rate. Or here's the the big one that I can't stand. Let me send you a link. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you can fill out your information and and I'll let you know if you qualify. I'll get your pre-approval. Wait a minute. Hold on. You you cannot solve a problem for a borrower you don't understand. And if you don't talk to them, you don't understand them. An application isn't going to tell you what you need to know about them. So yeah. you and I are on the same line of set of well, data. I think the key, you know, you said in your presentation, the most important question we ask a borrower is the why question. Yeah. I think that's so true and yeah. so wise. Yeah. And you can get, you can really, you know, obviously when they ask the rate question, they might be concerned about rate because rates are really high and, and rates are high versus before, but historically, they're not that high. And by the way, if you figure it out on an after-tax basis, they're not nearly as high as people think. That's exactly now, right. Now, you can get to that conversation, but you need to acknowledge they had just asked a rate question and then start to counsel them on how to think about what the rates are. And of course, over the next, from June of last year until June of next year, if the forecast holds, the 5 million loans that you're going to have to fight for, a big chunk of them are going to be refis. Mm-hmm. Let's say half of them are refis. That's two and a half million refis coming off a year when in that same span where there's hardly any refi at all. So mm-hmm. suddenly our market could suddenly get 50% bigger 
as soon as rates start dropping and, you know, so as hard as you're willing to work to, to establish that relationship with that six and a half percent borrower right now, you're buying yourself that opportunity to help them at a five percent borrower next year. So it's it's worth the fight. It's just yep. a lot tougher. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the thing that I think a lot of times we forget to talk about in today's marketplace is the offsetting factors. You just mentioned one of those tax benefits. That's a yeah, huge offsetting huge. factor. You know, buy downs are a huge offsetting factor. Um, the, the fact that today, you know, you, you hear people talk, consumers talk today about, well, you know, it might not be a right time to buy because rates are high. Yeah. But wait a minute. Let's think about when rates were low. You had to compete with 92 other people on that house. That's right. And then you had to offer $40,000 over asking price in order to get it. So if you can get it below asking price and you're paying a higher rate, at the end of the day, aren't you really kind of in the same boat? And many times you are. Many times you're even better off Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, depending on how big that variance is. So there's plenty of opportunity out there today if you look And if you can drop your sales price by 10 15% as the market softens, where you can be in a position to do that, by getting pre-approved yep. and being ready to pounce. Your monthly yep. payment is dropping by virtue of the fact that the sales price is going down. So, and you should know those numbers, you know, so for every 25,000, it can drop your monthly payment, of, you know, $150 or whatever the number is. You know, you know that, and then they begin to say, oh, so run that by me again. Boom, now you're having a, a quality conversation. Yeah. So you made two you made two statements and you had two bullets on your PowerPoint that I love you said pretend to be human. <laughs> yeah. Number one. Yeah. And second was get used to not yet. So so talk about that for a minute, because I think that was a really important point that you covered at the summit. Yeah. I mean a vast majority of refinan I mean of purchase transactions, if you're buying leads or if somebody happens to call off your website, a vast majority of them have not yet written a sales contract. And in some right. cases they may not have even put their current house up for sale. Well, they may not have even gotten their down payment together. And you don't want to jump into the qualification questions to figure that out, but you need to figure out where they are in the cycle. And so the not yet means this is really an opportunity to spend quality time and develop a relationship. You're not going to close them. It's an incremental close. I mean, a refinance is a close. And, you know, if you can't close them in a week or two, probably move on to another one. There's another opportunity. And it's a wasted opportunity to treat it that way. But it's true. And by the way, last week we also had um, Greg Olson spoke. And um, uh, right right before me, and by the way, I I just want everyone to understand, Greg Olson is much larger than I am. But we got the same amount of time up there. So in 20 (laughs) minutes, one one of the things that he said was he said, you get, you get, you become your worst when things are the easiest. And he didn't yeah. quite understand, I don't think, how prophetic that was for a bunch of people who'd coming out of a yeah. refi boom. I mean, he was yeah. talking about how he reacted when, you know, he started making all pro as a football player, that type of thing. So, you know, go see Greg Olson. I can't paraphrase it. But I was like, man, you just nailed what our industry is. This, the soft... Yeah skills have gotten soft um, because we didn't have to, you didn't have to do it as much. You worked a lot of hours. So no, nowhere should someone listen to this and say, ah, this guy didn't get what I'm talking about. I understand you worked a lot of hours. I understand it's yep. stressful. It's extraordinary what we accomplished as an industry doing 13 million transactions, but it's a different skill. Um, by the way, I would say the pretend to be human, like if you're in a call center and a refi, you could almost watch, and I managed hundreds of these people, you could almost watch when they thought they had a good one on the line, they'd lean forward. <laughs> and they begin to lean forward, they get their pen and they start doing boom, boom, I think I can close it on a refi. It's almost like in a purchase, you need to lean back. 
Because if you go too fast, they're going to say, you're not hearing where I am in this cycle. Right. You're, you're intimidating me with a bunch of jargon. And my realtor kind of told me I should probably go with her friend locally anyhow. So you're, you're, you're almost creating your own objections. Just lean back and let them tell the story. Because if you can become part of that story, you can become part of that solution. Slide nine that I sent you is that pie chart. Yep. And that pie chart is why are you buying a home? So the point I would make there is a loan officer, whether they hang that in their cube or put it in front of them or learn it, the customer they're talking to is one piece of that pie. Mm-hmm. They're in one of those buckets, maybe more than one. But if you don't know, you got no why. You yep. don't have the WHY. That's exactly right. And, and if you don't understand why they're buying, you can't educate them properly. And that, I think that's the biggest <laughs> challenge that I see today is loan officers just aren't educating because they don't really need to think they need to because of 2020 and 2021 when it was just like people lined up out the door for loans. It's not the case when rates are six and a half or six or seven or or whatever the rates are. You're always going to get resistance to the rate. So what you've got to do is be able to educate that borrower on how it makes sense, how they can afford to buy this home today that they're looking at how they can qualify in a way that's going to get them the home that they want and what their motivation is behind all of that. I mean, you and I yeah, both are right. from that same background. We, we've, we've come up through the ranks over the years where we sold in high rate markets and you couldn't do it by quoting rates. You did it by talking yeah. about what the motivation of your buyer was. When I entered the mortgage business in 1987, straight out of college, it was booming because rates had fallen to 11. Yep. So you know, late 80s, late 80s. Yeah. Uh, when, yeah. I, when I started in 1983, it was 17 and a half. We sold yeah, that well, for I was, I was, I was re- In 87, I'm refining your 17 and a half, Dale. So that's, that's exactly right. All right. So let's talk for a few minutes. Um, you know, you talked about units a moment ago. You talked about focus on units or don't focus on units, but when you do, focus on families, not units. So think of them in family terms. I love that yeah. mindset that instead of thinking in units, we should be thinking in this every time we help somebody with a transaction, that's a family that we're putting into a home. That's an individual that we're helping change your life in a powerful way. But you also put talked about something else that I thought was important, and that is our obsession with basis points and how volume really takes our focus off what matters. Talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like anything, right? You, uh, if you pay people a certain way, it drives the behavior. So if you pay in basis points, you are saying the dollar is more important than the person yep. because you're not paying them to close the Jones loan. You're paying them to close a $300,000 loan. And I don't even want to get into the distortion in, incentives that are created by the fact that the $200,000 loan isn't worth as much as the $300,000 loan. So I'll give you one very interesting stat. We actually got an article coming out on this. In 2010, Dodd-Frank came and changed our world. And it changed our world because we said, hey, you, you need to change away from our compensation model and you can't be paid on the terms of the loan. And the industry battled and got the CFPB through Dodd-Frank to acknowledge and make an exception for basis points for a loan officer. And I literally come back and say, and now this is ancient history, it was 12 years ago, but we almost screwed ourselves right there because the average loan officer in 2010 was making $2,000 a loan in compensation. And if you adjust that for inflation, it should be roughly $3,000 a loan. Right now, the average loan officer is making $4,000 a loan. So we're literally paying more because the average loan amount is so high. 
By the way, retail's average loan amount is significantly higher than consumer direct, partially because retail, brick and mortar, et cetera, chases big loans. So they yep. it's less competitive on the small loans. So because of that, we don't we just do away with any pay driven on quality. It's basis points. Everything's like the bigger the loan, the better, and the more you do or the bigger volume you do, the better. So I'm what I'm advocating for people, and this is not a popular concept, or people mm -hmm. say that's really interesting. Someday we should do that. And let me just go ahead and keep paying basis points in the meantime. But to sit there and say, look, I'm going to pay you $1,000 on a refi, but $2,000 on a purchase. You're saying it matters and it's harder and I recognize it's harder and I want to pay you. I'm going to pay you more if you do a fully verified, or I'm going to pay you some of it up front if you do a fully verified pre-approval and make contact and develop a relationship with the realtor. I'll pay you more for that. I'll pay you more if your lock pull through is higher um, because, you know, that helps me from a capital market. You can literally just start paying for the activity that you're trying to drive. And yep. instead, what we do through training and management is try to drive the behavior and then pay them on something completely different. Yep. So that was really the point I was trying to challenge people with is saying now's the time, frankly, as we're contracting to really think through what culture am I trying to create, focus on families, and how do I really want to pay people, maybe focusing on the unit part of the pay and customer satisfaction and all the other elements that drive, you know, a, a you know, better culture within your company. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm going to go back all the way to 1983 to 1995, the 12 years that I managed in this business. And, you know, I managed up to as many as 900 loan officers at one point. And I had a common saying that I said to my loan officers, it was this, focus on units, not dollars, focus on yeah. units, not dollars, focus on units, not dollars. And here's why, because units create habits, dollars create elephant hunters. That's what they do. So I'm, I'm sure now from, from lenders who are watching this podcast right now, they're thinking, oh, wow, that's, that's kind of radical that we're talking about changing compensation, but it's going to happen at some point. It has to sure. because of the structure of businesses today. For the loan officers, you're probably like, whoa, wait a minute. I, I like my basis points. I get it. And our advice is focus on units, do more of those, focus on who you're helping. You'll make a lot of money down the road. But if you focus on the basis point percentage, Put simply, this is a saying I use all the time, focus on your customers, not your commissions, and your commissions mm -hmm. will be much higher. It's that simple. Right. It, right. It's all focusing on the end result of the consumer you're helping, the family you're placing in that home, the people you're saving the money for. That's what your focus has got to be. And the more you focus in on units, both as a lender and as a loan officer, the more successful you're going to be. And I love the idea. I've always advocated this, just like you, Garth, is compensation plans should be designed to reward for the activities you're looking for. So if you're looking for higher conversion, you should be compensating for that. If, you, if you're looking for higher quality, you should be compensating for that. If you're looking for your surveys to come back and yeah. you want customer satisfaction, you should be given a spit for that because now people will work towards those things they're paid for. That's why incentives work so well. Exactly. And by the way, we see this in the retail side when we do analysis on the retail side. We'll have banks in the South, mortgage companies in the Southeast, and they'll have, their loan officers average six loans a month. And then you talk to somebody in there during, you know, one of the big loan amount states like California, Washington, D.C., up in the Northeast, they do four. Yep. Duh. They make a lot more money. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. the four is because they kind of, you know, once again, I was a loan officer too. So I was out peddling rate sheets and chasing realtors. <laughs> um, but you're, uh, you know, at four, you're making a really good living. So am I going to fight hard for five and six? 
And whereas down, you know, down south. And by the way, in the, if you get down into the southeast where they do an average of six, they also have higher governments. So it ain't like they're easier loans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're probably harder loans of anything. Well, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm training people in today's marketplace, in this high rate market. I'm training a lot of loan officers across the country doing 20, 25, 30 loans a month still in this yes. marketplace because they're doing the right things. They're building 100%. relationships, having proper conversations, so on and so forth. Yeah. All right, let's talk about efficiencies for a minute, if we can. And mm -hmm. let's talk about the importance of creating efficiency within your business and, and also talk a little bit about the cost of having people who are not productive and what that looks like. This is something I know you talked about on the stage that I thought was very beneficial to lenders. And mm -hmm. I think there's there's a lot of value in here too for any loan officers who might be watching this to understand the importance of your productivity and what that looks like. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting here is in 2021, there was about 350,000 loan officers. A third of them did less than three loans. I mean, that's so part-time. It's like, why, why would you do that? Why, how is that possibly worth it if you're managing a company? And I know that the theory is it's a variable cost, but is it really? You have to maintain their licensing. Many times the part-time people are the ones who are the least able to package a loan together or provide the high level of service. They lose the muscle memory of how to do the business if they're only doing a loan like every couple months. So really think about whether that's really the right thing for you to have people that, that small, that part-time when maybe the, the approach is put that money towards the, the real producers and the real people focused on their career. The other is is 80% of the volume in our industry is done by 40% of the LOs. So wow. in the, so you get the bottom you get the bottom 30 hardly do any, but the next 30 doesn't do very much either. So right. at some point you're sort of like do I really want so many low producers? And I understand it is tough when we're in this climate every single loan is worth something. Right. But in a consumer direct operation isn't, isn't it another one of your loan officers who's used to doing maybe 35 and now only doing 25 who could do the 26th loan for you if you gave him that lead you know maybe that's where you should think about instead of the the approach that a lot of lenders seem to be taking is well i'll retain all my salespeople because they don't cost me anything and they bring in extra business and i just say rethink that are you sure they don't cost you something by the way they're also the ones likely that have to negotiate lower rates maybe because they're not as good selling or their locks expire or they're a little sloppy with the paperwork and the processor has to clean up behind them i mean it takes real analytics to know the cost of this um and we help lenders do that but um it ain't free yep and it's interesting because you know i i train so many loan officers across the country along with leaders and lenders and all of that and I have this conversation with a lot of loan officers where I'll, I'll see them doing these one, two, three a month, and I'll ask them the question, why is it all you're doing? Right. And, and their answer is one of two things. Well, that's all I need to do to make what I want to make. Or, yeah. well, you know what, there's other <laughs> things that I want to do too. And, and if the first answer is, that's all I need, I go, well, all right, think about this. You know, you got to make hay while the sun's shining in, in anything mm -hmm. that you do. And if you can close five or six or seven instead of three or 10, why wouldn't you do that? Because we have no idea what the, and we saw this year how much the market shifted from 2021 to 2022. So people are now looking back on, boy, I wish I'd have done more in 2021 when it was really available and I wouldn't have given up so fast. So that's a message for all loan officers out there. But on the other side of that equation is, look, if you're doing other things, this is an industry where if you put 100% of your effort in, you can be incredibly successful and make an awful lot of money. Why would you choose another side gig if you've got the opportunity to be successful in lending? Because 
this is the one industry that's always going to be a need. Home ownership will always be the American dream, and people always mm-hmm. need money to refinance and money to yeah. buy homes. So and I would encourage loan officers, if anybody's listening to this as a loan officer and they're watching this, you want to you want to tap out on every opportunity you can within the marketplace. And, and I know when people hear things like 25 loans in this marketplace, they're like, wait a minute, what? I'm doing two or three. Well, it, it, it's a process of understanding that that is a, a product of your network, your lead base, your approach, your style, all these things you and I have been talking about will determine what that outcome is on your results. It's not working longer that's going to make you successful. It's working smarter that's going to make you successful mm-hmm. in this marketplace. And that's really yeah, what it is. And I takes. think a key, key part of it is honing the skills. And yep. so, you know, it's having the right technology. Sure, it's buying the right leads. Great. But it's also getting the training necessary to make yourself the best you can be with every opportunity you're given. I mean, we get calls all the time. We do some, you know, work around uh, lead management and CRMs and things like that. And we get called, hey, what's the best lead source? I'm like, come on. It depends. And, you know, it depends on what you're buying, how you're buying it. But by the way, that that's the wrong answer because the, uh, the wrong question because how good are you converting lead? Right. You know, and if you're not good converting prequal um, purchase leads right now, then it doesn't matter how good the lead is because that's mostly the purchase leads that you're going to get right yeah. now. Yeah. Not last year, exactly but right. right now. So focus on the skills necessary to convert those before you start worrying about, you know, whether a particular lead source happens to be better or, you know, different than the next one. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, one of the one of the strategies that I've employed with every single lender I've ever worked with is you need to have with every single one of your leads or your referrals that come in, you need to have a secondary call process in that where you know if if that first loan officer can't sell that deal there should be a second person talking to them sometimes just a different voice sometimes you know maybe just a different personality or a different approach is going to get a deal and it's always been interesting to me how many times you'll have a loan officer take a lead they say not there's nothing here this guy's not going to buy from me won't pay our rates you hand it off to another loan officer and son of a gun if they don't turn that thing and you know five minutes flat, they've got that customer eating out of the palm of their hand because of the challenge that's there. It's it's a process of understanding that if we educate properly and do the right things, we're going to get the results we're looking for. Absolutely. No question about it. All right. You had a quote, and I want you to, to, to kind of embellish on this. You said, um, satisfaction is measurable, but not if you don't measure it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Help, help so, the audience understand yeah. that. Yeah, so we do customer satisfaction research for the industry. We surveyed about 300,000 consumers last year. We do wow. it for many of the top lenders on their behalf. And we do it, um, and by the way, J.D. Power, you know, surveyed about 5,000 people last year. So it's a very deep data set. Um, some of the top performing customer satisfaction lenders use the service. And really the key is that it not only says, hey, would you give me five-star review as an example, but it asks about the process and how they experienced the process and what they felt about the process. It's really the full consumer experience. And I'll give you, we break down, there's like seven major drivers of customer satisfaction, many of which do not have directly responsible for loan officers. So the challenge is how as a loan officer do I deal with it? But the other challenge is as a company, how do I make sure customer satisfaction is all the way through the process, not just make love on the phone up front, so let's say you do the great Y experience, W-H-Y, yep. and you get it and you convert them. That's amazing. So in Consumer Direct, in 2022 through October, looking at my right screen, I shared this slide with you too. 
46% of consumers in our survey say they were asked for the same information more than once. Wow. That's really frustrating. Yeah. So once again, pretend you're human to stop with thinking about, well, the problem is the tax return or the, or the second bank statement or the missing page of the bank statement or all this arcane thing that we deal with in our industry, the underwriter's fault. Think about as a human, you're asked for the same information more than once. It's frustrating. Yeah. I already gave this to you. So what do you do about it? Our industry is rife with, hey, if you have a loan in the pipeline as a pre-approval, you are going to have to probably ask for another pay stub. Or maybe the borrower didn't understand, or maybe they only sent you their bank statement for their checking, but not their savings. The point is you have to communicate at their level to make sure they understand. And also you have to know that 46% of the time that they feel this happens, you need to be prepared to overcome it so they don't think it happened. And one way to do that is to not, once again, act like it's a transaction. And the one that I'll do, I'll just give you the one example here, Dale. I know we're running short on time. But if 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 somebody calls you and says, I need a letter of explanation, or I need an additional piece of documentation, that is already a failing conversation. Because nobody wants to have to explain anything, right? That's wife, parent, you know, it doesn't sound good. If you have a conversation, hey, I uh, wanted to touch base on a couple things. Um, you get your pay stubs every other week, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. I got your April here. Yeah, awesome. So your is your pay still the same or, you know, when do you get a raise? It doesn't matter. I'm simply talking about their life. Oh, actually, I might get a raise next year. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. That's amazing. You get them every two weeks. You get them in your, um, you know, like a PDF in your email. Oh, no, there's got a, we got a website. We download them. All right. Could you just download a couple more of those for me? Yeah, okay. I'll hang on the phone, by the way, while you do it. So how are things going anyhow? I just had a conversation and asked for two additional pay stubs. I didn't say, I need two additional pay stubs. And the guy's probably not going to realize you asked for the same information more than once. Yeah. Because it was just pleasant. (laughs) So, you know, but credit inquiries, everything like that can be a conversation if you think about what is, how's the consumer going to decode what I'm saying and how do I get on their side of the table, so to speak. So I get passionate on that one, Dale. So this is what I love about you the most, Garth, is you've been in this business like I have for a long time, and you started as a loan officer just like I did, and worked our, you know, we both worked our way up through the business. And what you're really revealing to people today is the secret to success in today's market. It's going back to the basics of relationship, conversation. We've mentioned several times, be a human being, think like a human being, <laughs> think about them as a human being. Quit quit yeah. thinking of it transactionally, think of it relationally. You know, Peter Drucker has a great quote that I love. He said, the biggest problem in communication is that we don't listen to understand, we listen to reply. That is yeah. such a true great statement point. in today's world. I, I watch loan officers every day that are on the phone and they're thinking about the next question they're going to ask or looking at their computer screen. They're not even hearing what that borrower is saying to them. And they're missing that golden moment of conversation and relationship and connection and, and, and trustworthiness. It's so powerful. Look, this business is not rocket science. <laughs> we, we try to make it rocket science, but it's really <laughs> people are going to buy no matter what the rates are and they're going to pick right. from the person they like the most. Who, who they and think they, is right. looking out for their interests. So I, I think everything that we've talked about really goes back to conversational tone, treating people like human beings, and understanding that these are not transactions. These are not even units. These are families and people we're dealing with, and we're changing our life in an, an incredible way. 
Yeah, and the and you know the, the purchase is so exciting. It's really way more exciting than a refi. So it might yep. be harder, but it's way more rewarding. Um, you know, and of course, if you do a great job on a purchase, they're gonna tell people. Because yes. you don't go to a cocktail party and say, damn it, I had the best refi. I saved $187 <laughs> a month. How much did you save on your refi? But you're going to go to a cocktail party and say, I bought that new home. And the next human's going to say, wow, why did you want a new home? And if you're part of that solution, you've earned the right to be part of, you know, getting a referral or whatever that next piece of business might be. Well, and, and the purchase is so much more emotional of a transaction than a refi is to the consumer because this is the new house. It's the new thing. It's where they're going to create their future memories. There's a whole lot that goes into that. It's really powerful. Yeah. Yep. If you were to give one piece of advice to the people listening today to succeed in you know the rest of this year in 2023 in, in, in a high rate market, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, empathy. Um, and one is it's empathy for the people that you work with, some of whom will probably need to have an opportunity to succeed elsewhere. We're going to go through a big contraction. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I hate it when, you know, we're, we're hired by people a lot of mortgage companies to tell them how to, you know, get more efficient and optimize. And I never forget that the spreadsheet of, you know, maybe you need to reduce your expense in a department or people. So right. you need to be empathetic. It's really, really, it's tough as it is for the loan officers trying to scrap to get from four to five to six to seven to eight loans a month. It's way tougher for the processor, the loan officer assistant, or the underwriter who really is waiting for you to do enough business to justify their job. It's a that's tough, right. that's tough. That's and tough. the other empathy is it's a really tough purchase market and the customers will act odd because they're under stress. I mean, it's more expensive than it was a year ago, but let me help you understand how much more it really is, and let's see if we can come up with some solutions for you. Or it's more stressful for the realtor. There's a lot less deals to go around. They're going to act odd, you know, and frenzied about their transaction, which might be, you know, last month's Jaguar payment. So it's you just have to have empathy for how difficult it is and be, you know, somewhat satisfied or appreciative that you have an opportunity to have such a meaningful role in it on an ongoing basis. I love it. Sage advice right there. Yeah. Let me close with my final question. I love to ask all my guests. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that one of the keys to success for all of us is having mentors in your life and, and people that you can learn from. Can you give an example of, or, or just tell us in your words, how important you think mentorship is for people watching this podcast? And maybe you have an example of a mentor in your life who made a difference that you want to share. Yeah, I think I've had a, had a few. I mean, I, I certainly had one in the production um, uh, area when I came up. I got promoted pretty quickly at Chase. I was a very high producer. I kind of went from branch to regional manager very quickly, and I had a lot of bad habits. And the most of it was around a level of arrogance and a lack of humility. And I had a manager who beat that out of me and he was right at every step of the way. Um, he's, and if he's watching, I'll send him a link because I've told him this myself. Um, I've also had ones, you know, where I did a lot of mergers and acquisition and strategy work at my latest job before we sold Mortgage.com and ABN Amro got sold to Citigroup. So I had a pretty meaningful job there. And I had two very good mentors, one of whom really at his core is a production guy too. So we saw eye to eye on a lot of things, but he was far more strategic and analytical. And another who was really a finance guy. And he was, um, you know, 
taught me a lot of things that I hadn't really thought about at a very deep level. And he was a very good manager, tough manager. The pattern for me, by the way, is it's the tough managers. Uh, tough but empathetic, I think, is probably the best mentors that I've had. Awesome. I love it. Well, think back to our coaches and our teachers. The tough ones were the ones that made us the best. There's no question about that. So That's right. So um, t- how can people reach out to you? T- tell us a little bit about Stratmore. I mean, you guys are such an incredible organization. Um, you know, if you, do you want to share for just a minute, you know, sure. what you guys do and how it can help the audience? Um, we get a lot of people watching this podcast. So uh, and, and what they how they would reach out to you if they wanted to get your advice. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, by the way, I'm blessed with a very, uh, uh, not a common name. So I'm like you, Dale, just go to LinkedIn and type Garth Graham and you'll pop and I'll pop up or you can even Google me. So yeah, I'd love to engage with people in that level. Stratmore really is a data centric consulting firm. So really what we are helping is the C-suite on how to invest and improve the performance of their business. We do a lot of M&A activity. We didn't talk about that either. In fact, I'm kind of buried with M&A right now. Mm-hmm. But um, really, it's, you know, whatever those challenges might be, we give, you know, strong insights backed by data and help people make decisions to improve their business. So that's really the the core of what Stratmore is. Um, and you you see our stats that come out. And if anybody wants to sign up on our website, we send out a monthly insight that I think is pretty darn powerful. Our database is, I don't know, 10,000 people get it in our industry. So we're welcome to share our insights that way as well. Well, Garth, th- this has been great. You- you've been such a great ambassador to the business for so many years. I love when I get to see you at conferences. That's generally when we get to see each other is at conferences. Yeah, but exactly. we're going to have to make a, a habit of, of making it more than that. Seeing we're both down in Florida and we're not too far apart from each other. We'll have to get together for lunch or dinner or one of these uh, things pretty soon. But thank you for being on. Great advice. Great um, information, as always. Appreciate you greatly and look forward to the next time we get to see each other again. All right, Dale. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, Gary. God bless you. Thank Thank you. (laughs) Batting a Thousand is a production of Mortgage Champions, a company that's been transforming the people who transform companies since 1995. Have a suggested topic or guest? Contact my team on Twitter. That's at Dale Vermillion. Or tweet us using the hashtag batting1000. That's hashtag batting1000.